Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and it is my privilege this week to be joined by Nathan Oblak again. We've missed you for a couple weeks, Nate. Yeah, good and to be back. Yeah, don't say anything yet. Don't worry about it. Glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and here. We, uh, right in there. <laughs> <laughs> and we are also joined this week by Aaron Rock. Uh, Aaron will be familiar to regular listeners. Uh, Aaron is Ezra Institute Fellow for Church Leadership, pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. And he's a, uh, he's a podcasting brother. Uh, he hosts the Leadership Now podcast, uh, which you can also find on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. So after you finish listening to, uh, to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, you can... Uh, stick on the same network and, uh, and listen to Aaron's podcast as well. And that's uh, that's a weekly uh, release, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, it is. And uh, good to be here with you guys. I love you, brothers, and I appreciate very much what you do. And, and I'm excited about uh, what we're going to be talking about today. I'm looking forward to that too. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, so what we will be talking about uh, real quick is a qu- the question of national and civil leadership. Uh, the nature of spiritual war and the myth of neutrality. We're going to get into a couple of uh, current events that uh, that highlight these themes. Before we dive in, I'm going to throw it over to Nate uh, for a couple of announcements. Great. So I'm okay to talk now, Ryan. Please. Yeah. This is uh, <laughs> what, what I point to you. Uh, that's, okay, that's you. Great. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah, just uh, in a few weeks now, um, we're going to be hosting our first ever uh, residential training program for all adults. And we've been talking about that uh, in the last few episodes here. And uh, we're calling the program the Christianity and Culture Colloquium. And uh, in the past, all of our programs, uh, they've they've been available to teens, uh, young adults, uh, pastors, elders, etc. But again, this program is open to any adult. And it's a four-day introduction to Christian worldview and cultural apologetics. And this year, it's running from October 18th to the 21st in Port Colborne, Ontario. And uh, that's just across the border from Buffalo. And uh, and on that, um, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit in today's show, but uh, Canada's announced that it's going to be dropping all border restrictions as of October 1st. So if you're from you know Western New York or Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, this program, it's now much easier for you to get to and could be, well, it is actually the first opportunity for you know quite some time now uh, for our American friends to join us for a program. So we'd, we'd love to see that happen. That's right. And, uh, yeah. So again, yeah, it's been years uh, since we've been able to uh, accommodate uh, some of our American friends. So we, we'd love it if you join us and um, our speakers for this year uh, include uh, Joe Boot and uh, our guest on today's podcast, Aaron Rock. So we ha- we're happy to have Aaron join us for the program. And uh, Andre Schutten, uh Michael Thiessen, and uh, Dr. Ted Fenske. 
So uh, if you head to our website, EzraInstitute.com, you can find much more information on the program and you can sign up today and we'd love to see you there. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, that's a really good point that uh, we've uh, we've picked up a lot of uh, a lot of listeners over the past mm-hmm. two years of uh, of the course of these these mandates and restrictions, and you've been totally unable to uh, to actually come over and see us. So I hope that, uh, that some of you will take that uh, that chance now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. And that uh, that dovetails nicely uh, with our our first theme. So, Aaron, the the first thing that uh, that we wanted to uh, to talk about here, as uh, as Nate just mentioned, uh, the en- the end of this month, uh, we're anticipating. We've had it announced that uh, the Arrive Can app and the vaccine mandate for everyone entering Canada uh, is being dropped. So, as of October first, twenty twenty two, all of all travelers, uh, regardless of their citizenship are not going to be required any longer to submit their health information through ArriveCAN, uh, not going to be required to provide proof of vaccination, uh, undergo or submit to any testing, quarantine, isolation, anything like that. Uh, all monitoring, reporting requirements, they're all, they're all being, uh, they're all expiring. Uh, and they, uh, these, these mandates have built-in expiry dates and we've just sort of, we, our, our civil leaders have just kind of hmm. extended and uh, sort of renewed, you know, like a, like a library book, just kept on renewing hmm. these, uh, these mandates. Uh, but they are, they are set to expire uh, at the end of this, uh, this week that we're in right now. And, and continue, Ryan, just to interject, to continue to talk to our American friends. They now need to, the U.S. needs to now follow our example. How strange is that? Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for yeah. mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, take exactly. note, guys. Look at, uh, look at how <laughs> Justin Trudeau is doing and do the same thing. <laughs> I never flee, thought we'd flee, say that on our podcast. Flee here. Right. We're such a free country. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's true, Ryan. Um, I'm, I'm hoping and and intending to head to Knoxville for the Fight Laugh Feast conference uh, next week. And I should be free and clear to do that because I'm, I'm the sort that's just refused to even attempt to fill out the Arrive Can app. I, don't, I won't play games. I'm not going to go across with exemption letters. I'm not going to pretend I'm vaccinated. I'm not going to be nice at the border. I'm just kind of showing up. If you let me in your country, fine. If you don't, okay, I'll head back and spend my money in my own country. But the Arrive Can apps cancellation is obviously going to make that much easier. But technically, as of today, you're still supposed to show proof of vaccination. And I won't be doing that. So sometimes people just get through, some don't. It kind of all it depends on who you get. But yeah, please, uh, if you're one of our dear U.S. brothers, Petition your leaders to end the uh, the vaccination requirements on your side of the border as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. Thanks, Aaron. So, Aaron, uh, your uh, w- one of your emphases uh, over your uh, your ministry career has has been this uh, the, the the practice and ide- idea of leadership, uh, and if we can extrapolate that to the global scale, uh, how have, we've been 
we've been here with living with these policies for two years and more in Canada. Uh, what what has been the effect on Canada's global image, uh, Canada's sort of perception on the world stage, as well as the the citizens of Canada, the people who are under the leadership of of these uh, these elected officials and unelected health officials? Mm-hmm. How of how uh, how is that? Yeah, well, you know, as, as as Christians, we were interested in leaders that are competent. We obviously hope to work with people with whom we have good chemistry. We want to work with people who have high capacity, or at least capacity that's commensurate with the tasks and responsibility that they've been assigned. But what's unique about Christian leadership is we also emphasize something called character, and the character of a leader is pretty critical. We we ultimately are wanting to reflect the values, the virtues, the principles of our Lord Jesus Christ and our sovereign God in what we do. And I have been thoroughly disappointed, not only with clergy, but civil leaders and police officers and health officials who admittedly are people with some competencies and who have some capacity but who lack character. They've lied. They've participated in the abuse of the citizenry. They've literally manufactured narratives about the people that they have been tasked to serve. And frankly, it's been quite disheartening, but also maddeningly disgusting. So as I have um, thought about the long-term effects of the decisions that we've been subject to, I think we are entering into an era era where people trust leadership less and less and less and less. So I mentioned this on one of my, my shows. I am not trying to inflame tensions and I'm not trying to throw everybody under the bus. That's, that's not what I'm about at all, but I, I am interested in speaking the truth and sometimes the truth hurts. So to use an example, I've always had a fairly high level of respect for medical professionals. Uh, My parents, have served in that field and that vocation. My mom is a nurse. My dad was a paramedic and a firefighter. So, you know, lots of stories growing up about accidents and things that took place in hospitals and nursing homes. I've also had a lot of respect for police and law enforcement. I've never assumed that they're perfect, but overall I've respected those occupations, those vocations. And I have grown actually in my respect for some members of those vocations who have just been absolutely outstanding and stellar during the past two and a half years, who've stood up, who've spoken the truth, who've done the right thing, some of whom have lost their jobs or who have been suspended for their stance. But to be honest, those are the minority. The institutions as a whole have lost my respect. My respect for law enforcement has dropped dramatically because one of the things I learned during the last couple of years is that many of the law enforcement officials were acting contrary to their own consciences. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, when they were ticketing people and then apologizing for doing it or sort of meeting you off to the side at protests and saying, hey, you know, we're on your side. I hope you guys get what you want. We'd kind of like to be with you. Or when they, uh, you know, of course, I also know that many off-duty officers were part of protests, and, and I, I'm thankful for that. But the, the, I, I'm saying that not to inflame tensions or you know get myself into further trouble with the police or whatnot, but to point out I think there's been a lack of character. And so one of the long-term 
consequences is, is in the area of trust. Like we all trust our leaders less than we did before this. Unfortunately, many people trust their pastors less than they did before this because they know they participated in a lie either through their pronouncements and edict and decrees or through their abject silence. So, Ryan, I would say that's probably top of the heap is we, we live in a culture where there's various positions of authority. As Christians, ideally, we want to honor authority. And we believe in authority. We believe in authority in the home. We believe in authority in the church. We believe in authority in civil government. We want these people to succeed. We want these people to serve well. But without repentance, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a very deep hole that they've dug to climb out of before people who value character and value integrity and value honesty are really going to fully trust many of these officials and offices and vocations again which is a sad thing, really. Mm-hmm. Even as you share that, uh, Aaron, all I think about is the line, and we heard this a lot from, I think, police officers specifically, but I'm just doing my job. You know, I, I agree with what you're saying, what you're supporting, but I'm just here doing my job. And tell, tell me that doesn't echo through the, the halls of history. But that sounds an awful lot like the very excuses that were given by previous generations of medical professionals and law enforcement officials, admittedly sometimes in more heinous contexts, but the same mindset that, you know, I just got to do what I'm told to do. And it's, it's wrong. If, if the, I, I, you know, there's no statistical work to be done on this and there probably never will be, but my sense in attending protests and interacting with law enforcement, if I were to guess, I would say more than half. Okay, this is just my intuition here. I could be wrong. I would say more than half of those involved in frontline law enforcement actually disagreed with government edicts and mandates. Hmm. In the medical profession, I would say it was maybe more like 20% or maybe 30%. But if, if the majority had said, no, this is not right. And by the way, it did happen on one occasion. I can't remember the details, but you remember in Ontario when Doug Ford was trying to lock down borders, mm-hmm. uh, provincial borders, and I, I believe it was maybe the Waterloo Police and, and a couple of the departments kind of came out and said, no, we're not doing that. We don't have resources for it or something of mm-hmm. that ilk. And then, and then it kind of swept across the province and they, they did, ditched it pretty quick. Yeah. I think, it, Aaron, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe... Um, uh, they were even saying, uh, you know, the Ontario government was saying police now have the authority to randomly pull cars over. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it could have been that. Yeah. And it was resistance. And then several, uh, yeah. several police stations uh, came out and said, no, we don't have that authority. We're not going right. to do that. Yeah. Right. So that's just an example of where we're not, we're not I, I don't want to see anarchy. Like, I don't want to see the police saying to the state, get lost. We do what we want. But I also don't don't like the fact that the police have almost become pawns because I think all of us on this podcast, many of the listeners would agree, we, we all know by now the, the evidence is overwhelming that the mandates and these laws and rules and regulations that they were putting in place were dressed in the garb of medicine 
but we're at, when the garb was pulled off, we realized it was pure politics masquerading as science. So the politicians literally used and manipulated law enforcement and the medical establishment to a, to a lesser degree to get what they wanted. And, and that's, what, that's what makes this whole thing a, a bit of a travesty. And I think whether or not history will ever accurately record that, uh, you know, those of us that have been involved in the front lines know that to be factual. Right. And Aaron, just to uh, press, press on this from another angle, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the principles of, of leadership is that if, you're, if you make a decision, if you implement a policy, you stand by it, you, you own it. And what, one of the things, even, uh, even as we see this, this impending uh, expiry of ArriveCan and other mandates, uh, any time you read a news report about this in the media, it seems like nobody in leadership, in, in civil leadership, is happy about this development. Every, every every statement from health ministers and other officials says that well, the mandates are expiring, but you know, and to uh, to paraphrase. If we could, if we could keep them going, we would. Yeah. yeah well, is- you know what? I think there's a, probably two, two main, well, maybe three main reasons to that. The first is they've wet their finger and stuck it in the air, and they're polling for public opinion. The second would be people don't release power very quickly, and the third would be terror of liability. So th- these are these are the these are the reasons why you have these crazy mandates, these over-the-top mandates that are being put in place. And unfortunately, churches have also participated in this. There was a, a church in the Toronto area. Now, when I say a church, it's not a true church. It's, it's, it's completely you know, heretical in terms of its morality. But um, even this past Sunday, every single parishioner is still wearing a mask, every single one. And the quote-unquote minister is serving the Lord's Supper to the congregation wearing rubber gloves. So <laughs> why? It's, it's just another example of, a, of the terror of liability, the terror of liability. Like we, we, cannot, we cannot afford in any way, shape, or form to ever have anybody point our finger, their finger at us and say, you participated in the death of so-and-so. So politicians are, are terrified of liability they are the human human nature and we all need to be careful of this is desperate for power and control because control is part of power and influence and th- this is why there's i think behind the scenes are some people that are like oh man i'm so glad this is gone i've heard from many of my constituents but i don't really want to get too excited about it in public because I'm not really sure how the public's going to respond. And of course, the, uh, the, the state is maintaining the right to, with the click of their fingers, put it back into place any moment. So it's like you're not really it's – it's like we're going to give you a weekend pass, and if you're a good little boy, maybe you don't have to come back on Monday. But 
but just be aware if you're not a good little boy or we change our mind, you're going to be back in jail on Monday. Right. They're trying to communicate that they're still the ones in authority. Correct. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the, 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 the unique challenges. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a failure. It's a failure slash exposure of the lack of character these people have. And it is a grotesque unveiling of the dark side of leadership. Not driven by principles, not driven by God's laws, not driven by common sense, not driven by righteousness, with no regard for God-given rights. It is driven by liability, uh, power and control, and essentially polling. This is why, so for example, I live in a border city. So my... My church is about 10 kilometers, you know, six or seven miles from the U.S. border. So I can just jump in my car, drive down, and look over across the river at Detroit, Michigan. Well, the only thing that separates the landmass called Michigan from the landmass called Ontario is some water. But somehow the virus works differently there than it does here. It's the same part of the world, but somehow the virus works differently. If this was true science, the protocols and mandates on one side of the river and on the other side of the river would be virtually identical. But they're not identical. Like you don't do heart surgery in Windsor differently than you do it in Detroit. You don't fix glaucoma differently in Windsor than you do in Detroit. You don't mend broken bones differently in Windsor than you do in Detroit. You, you, I mean, obviously there's physicians that probably have slightly different techniques, but the point I'm trying to make is medicine is medicine on both sides of the border, but apparently epidemiology is radically different. The science of epidemiology is radically different just because there's a body of water in between us. The re the ex, the only explanation for these varying rules and regulations that vary from state to state, province to province, country to country, hemisphere to hemisphere, is politics, folks. It's politics. So people say, trust the science. I say, what do you mean, the political science? Is that what you're talking about? Because that's actually what we're talking about. It's political science. Dressed in the garb of medical science, which, by the way, in and of itself is a, is a, is a fluid science. It changes regularly. Hmm. Well, and Aaron, you mentioned polling. So I would imagine the difference between Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and Detroit would be the people. Yes, I would say that's pretty accurate. Hmm. Different, slightly different culture, some different values, different. Well, we we even have socialized medicine here, which which does affect health expenditures and regulations and so forth and so on. Um. Like we, we, you know, we, we're all young enough guys that our entire lives we've grown up under social medicine in Canada. Like I don't ever remember a time when that wasn't true. I just thought that was normal. And I actually understand the historical reasons for it. And I think there was some, there were some good reasons for it back in the day, but we've seen the system literally collapse. There's not a lot of integrity left in the system anymore. It's, it's not. It's not customer oriented. It's not fiscally responsible. It's politicized medicine. 
And so we have a, a, bro- a broken medical system, and that broken medical system also obviously a pr- affects the way that people respond to it, to all this stuff politically. So. Right. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. And another, uh, another kind of uh, pivot on that point uh, to our, uh, our other subject today. And the point that a, lo- a lot of people are, are comfortable or at least uh, you know, not concerned with something like mandates because there's a popular perception that our civil government is spiritually neutral. And there's no, uh, there's no acknowledgement that ev- at every moment there's a spiritual war raging uh, that... Uh, that we can, we're not uh, we're not aware of we we can't see or we don't we don't recognize but uh, there's another sort of a uh, current event going on here that uh, that should should kind of i don't know highlight that may throw that uh, throw that into sharper relief and that is Canada's new uh, federal action plan and so for the uh, for the first time Canada's federal action plan announced their initiative to advance uh, LGBTQ and so on rights. Uh, that's, that's their language of rights uh, across Canada, as well as uh, continuing to reform criminal law in favor of leniency towards criminals or accused criminals and uh, expand its government funding to uh, by, by millions and millions of dollars to to accomplish those aims. Now, Aaron, we've already got in this country uh, Bill C4. Uh, we have rafts and rafts of recent legislation that is geared towards um, you know supporting or favoring or in some way, uh, trying to level level the field for uh, or on on the issue of LGBTQ related matters. How, what uh, what do we what do we make of this? And Aaron, before you answer, I was really looking forward to have hearing Ryan uh, tell us the full title of the action plan. He skipped a whole bunch of letters there. I noticed that. I wasn't very. Uh, my, my computer doesn't uh, doesn't go that many letters. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's very insensitive of you, uh, Ryan. That's to do right. that. Oh. You left a lot of uh, absolutely. Of I, did, oh no. Identities. <laughs> yeah. It's getting this this uh, I don't know ac- acrostic accurate. It's getting very <laughs> close to all lives matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's not go that far. Oh, okay. no. It doesn't include the H for heterosexuals. Oh, you're right. Okay. <laughs> true, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I really think we have to continue to drive home this critical point that we do not live in a spiritually neutral state or political system. Now, I think what has happened historically when, quote-unquote, Christian people, and I use that word in the broadest possible sense, have wielded more influence in various cultures over time, sometimes that's been for the good, like with Wilberforce and his 
abolishment of uh, influence in abolishing slavery. And other times it's been horrible where the state under the various popes, for example, have basically become political leaders and they've violated their their spheres of authority. And there's been this mushing together of, of uh, you know, the ecclesiastical purposes of the church and literally statecraft. Uh, and so people, many people have this, this fear that if Christians, for example, rise up or the church rise up and, and wields more influence over a culture, well, then everyone else is going to be discriminated against and there's going to be all these issues. So we've, we've come up with this pretend neutral solution called secularism. And secularism is basically like, well, let's just kind of, let's just build a, a giant park and we'll put some fences around it, but everybody can come and play in the park and there's no there's no real boundaries or rules or regulations. We can have open dialogue and we can just sort of, you know, go along to get along. And so uh, many Christians too are, are of this mindset that the ideal state is a secular state because then Christians can do their thing and Muslims can do their thing and atheists can do their thing and no one's going to step on each other's toes. The problem is with the premise. The premise is that you can have a secular, a spiritually neutral state. That's not possible. At some point, you have to appeal to an authority, like i.e. a person, uh, a legislative body, a divinity, a code book. At some point, you have to appeal to some authority because we are moral, social, emotional, mental beings. And so we have to appeal to an authority to deal with laws and structures that allow human beings to function in a culture. And you have to make moral judgments about what behaviors are acceptable and what are unacceptable. And what we've seen is, is, is in, especially in the last couple of generations, the mask has been ripped off. And the secular, the quote-unquote secular state that we, we live under is an extremely religious state, with, primarily with the prime minister and his technocrats functioning as the modern equivalent of Nebuchadnezzar and his court officials. And they, so many of the bills and the plans and the policies that come out of Ottawa or Toronto are actually religious in nature if you read them carefully. And this federal plan is what it is, is a classic example of that. You cannot read this without seeing this is a religious plan. When I mean religious, it's not denominational. It's, it's not reflective of a major world religion, but it is reflective of godless ideologies, kind of a neo-pagan, utopian kind of dream for the future of our country. So just to get your language right there, Ryan, because we do want to be extremely uh, you know, up to date on our, our lingo, it's actually, instead of being the LGBTQ+, plus they've added things so they took the the 2s which is a two-spirited kind of a a, a pagan sexual uh, sexual ideology that comes out of the quote-unquote indigenous cultures and trudeau has decided to move that that to the beginning of the acrostic to give them greater honor so it's it's 2s two-spirited l g b t q i and then plus because the chances are this acrostic's going to grow beyond its uh, eight digits to 
probably 30 digits or something like that. And what he wants to do is he wants to take $100 million of your money, not your specific money, but taxpayers' money, and he wants to invest it in a multi-pronged plan to promote and support and advocate for non-biblical, non-creational forms of sexuality in the country of Canada. And when you read it, what's interesting is there are several moral claims. Why don't I just kind of comment on on a couple of these? So in I, I actually have it with me, and there's a um, there's a uh, a nice letter at the beginning from the prime minister, and listen listen to the language here. So you we're Christians, so we would understand that if if we're gonna preach on love. At some point, if we're going to help people have a proper theological understanding of love, you have to say something like, hey, God is love, because God is actually the one that defines what love is and what love isn't. We don't just kind of get to make it up. God defines what love is, and true true love is grounded and founded in, in, in the character of God and is manifested to us in God's creational acts and acts of forgiveness, obviously in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and in our salvation. But according to Mr. Trudeau, the high priest of neo-paganism, he says, quote, we will achieve a future where everyone, let me just pause there and say this, everyone means everyone. Not those that agree with this, but you, you, Ryan, you, Aaron, or, or Nathan, your wives, your children, my wife, my children, all my church, every citizen, his goal is uniform belief and conformity to this ideology. So going back to the quote, quote, we will achieve a future where everyone in Canada is truly free, without defining that word, to be who they are and love who they love, end quote. From a Christian perspective, freedom is never absolute freedom. It's freedom within the boundaries of God's word, God's rules, God's principles, God's boundaries. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's a constrained freedom. It's not an unrestrained freedom. It's not a hedonistic freedom as much as when we follow God, there's great pleasure and joy attached to that. So he redefines the word freedom to essentially mean hedonism, rampant promiscuity, whatever you want. And then love is just, love is defined as love. Like just love is love. You see, you know, you go through the McDonald's drive-thru and they get the sticker up on the window. Love is love. Like, what does that even mean? When I was in school, you had to actually define a definition, but they, they can't. We would say God is love. And then they, they talk about your fullest potential. They talk about criminalizing anyone who would speak out against these matters. They define conversion therapy as cruel, so they, they make a, a moral judgment there. On and on and on. He says it's the right thing to do. His minister, later on in the, the booklet on page six, says this is the right thing to do. And, we, and then later on, through concrete action steps, we need to right these wrongs. This is moral language. Love, freedom, right, wrong, criminalization, 
all of these words imply a moral foundation. And the question is, well, who's the source of authority for those things? In Justin Trudeau's world, the state is the source of authority. And ergo, the state is your de facto God. The state is divine because it is the divine state that chooses to redefine what liberty is, what love is, what freedom is, and what right and wrong is. And the crazy thing about this is, is that their definitions of these things are the exact opposite of God. So it's not like they're arriving at the right conclusion by appealing to the wrong authority. They're appealing to the wrong authority and arriving at the wrong conclusions. So this is the the moral nature of this, and people need to wake up and realize that this isn't this isn't about justice. This this isn't about your rights. This this is about a state that, in their confusion and ignorance, are setting themselves up as Nebuchadnezzar's statue in the court. And it's like you you have to go out and worship it. Everyone is called to worship the statue and bow down. And if you don't, it's into the fiery furnace you go. It's the exact same play. That has been that has been run throughout human history, just different circumstances, and it's it seems to be from from our cultural perspective much more sophisticated, right? And if this action plan isn't religious in nature, and we're a supposedly inclusive country, well, now you know, Mister Trudeau, let's pledge to give one hundred million dollars to support an Islamic understanding of sexuality. See how that all fits together. Yeah, what well, what's fascinating is uh, first of all, I've been surprised how quiet the Muslims are in all of this because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here they 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 would be much more on board with where we would be at in some of these definitions. Mm-hmm. But they, I I think they're they're um, they don't want to show their hand yet because they're they're pretty good at waiting patiently for mm-hmm. opportunities. At the same time, uh, certainly in our region, most of the high, I, th- I think, pr- I think there are very few high offices in the medical establishment in Windsor-Essex that aren't occupied by by Islamic individuals, hmm. which hmm. is interesting. Very. Uh, um, so I, I also find it interesting. This, you know, one of the, one of the nauseating taglines that we've been exposed to for the past um, two and a half years is trust the experts, trust the experts. Well, the health panel says this and the experts say that and the experts and the experts and the experts. It's like, okay, Will these people please come out of the closet? Like, who are these experts? They're the paid technocrats, and it's it's all a political stunt. So, our our premier, for example, many governors do the same thing. They come up and they come out with these edicts because we're doing it because the experts tell us. Well, who are the experts? But it's the same sort of thing. They always want to pass the buck and they want to appeal to some mysterious group of individuals that already agree with this agenda. And in the action plan, they, they pull the same stunt. It's the same political stunt. So later in the, in the manual, they, they talk about the government of Canada received input from 25,000 people in a survey. Wow, 25,000 people were invited because they want to they present themselves as democratic for the people. So we, got, we, had, we, we, pulled, we did our work, man. We, we pulled 25,000 people. They agree with us. 
We had a, over 100 written submissions. I mean, we, we have the paperwork to prove this is the direction Canada should go. We, we invited over 100 participants across various sections of society to, to contribute their, quote-unquote, experiences, knowledge, and expertise. Um, I don't see them in the footnotes. Who are these people? Were there any Bible-believing Christians among the 25,000? Were there any Muslims among the 25,000? Were there any freedom fighters among the 25,000? Were there any heterosexuals among the 25,000? Who are these people? This is the game that people that the, the, that the state likes to play. They want They want you to think that they have this huge backing. Justin Trudeau is masterful at this. Canadians believe he's like putting words in people's mouths. This is what Canadians want. It's like what Canadians? Your 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 wife and your cabinet ministers. Like who are these Canadians that you're talking about? Because. I can tell you this, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to Boot. You're, you're not listening to the people that are on the podiums calling you out. You're not, you're not responding to our letters. Guys, I wrote a letter, just, just as an example. I wrote a couple letters to our local health unit over two years ago now and still do not have a response. So you, there, there's, there's, not, there's no true input here. We have democracy on election day, and after that, it's a dictatorship, effectively, especially in the last two and a half years when the judicial, judicial branch and the legislative branches were largely closed. So this should concern us, but there, the, whole, the whole trajectory of this is to spend $100 million on prioritize. There's six steps, prioritizing and sustaining it, and they use all this language, advancing, strengthening. Somehow, like what on earth? Somehow they sneak the indigenous issue in there. See, this is a this is a play. A lot of people are very sympathetic to what happened with the residential school system, and we've come to find out that this whole Kamloops thing was largely fabricated. But in principle, I oppose the residential school system as well because the state has no authority to forcibly educate people's kids. So I oppose it as well. And I oppose it on theological grounds. I don't oppose it because it's the cool thing to oppose right now. But right now, the cool thing to be, the, if you want to be one of the cool kids, you want to be wearing an orange T-shirt and proclaiming to the world that you're just you know, desperately concerned about the plight of indigenous people, even though you've probably never done anything to bring about effective change. But that's the cool thing. So that's a, an ethno-cultural supposed racial issue what in the world does that have to do with sodomy what does that have to do with being a lesbian what like what does that have to do with being inter an intersexed person nothing it's two different it's two different things but they want to blend it all together all these all these woke wars are 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 overlap and intersect so they they they're going to actually spend extra money on supporting people who are engaged in aberrant sexual practices if you're indigenous. It's like these vaccinations where we're rolling out the third dose and we're prioritizing the vulnerable, the people in LTCs, and indigenous people. Really? 
So you get a you get a leg up because of your ethnicity. Like we're gonna line people up and say, okay, this ethnic group, you get the vax first, then this group, then this group, then this group, because it just looks good. It's mm-hmm. it's meanwhile, so ridiculous. Meanwhile, the indigenous community is probably the number one demographic that refuses to get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's probably accurate. Um, I mean, the Mennonites would be right up there as well, mm-hmm, for sure. There's Anabaptist groups, yeah, but then I'll I'll come back to this. I want to emphasize this because I want people to be not fearful, but I want people to be very concerned about this next statement. And I've mentioned it before. Point four in the plan is to engage everyone. So when you use the word everyone, you don't mean 90%. You mean 100%. That's what everyone means. So to engage everyone in Canada in fostering a two-spirited, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersectional, intersexual, I think that's the word, plus inclusive future. So you're not even going to leave us alone. No, we're going we're gonna to come after everyone. So what does that look like? Well, you can only imagine everybody at work has to be exposed to training and they'll comply because if you comply to the vaccine against your conscience and you're being threatened with your job, okay, I'll sit through it. I'll send my kids to public school because I can't afford Christian school. Okay, well, then they're going to be forced to put be put through teaching on that and you you won't have time in the evening to debrief them on the propaganda that's been packed into their heads. Who knows what the the application is, but you can pretty much guess. Propaganda, indoctrination. Don't be surprised that they're going to come for charitable status, that they're going to come for all these other things, which somehow they think they grant. And uh, it, it's just a very dangerous... Oh, and by the way, I wanted to mention this too, guys, to embed these issues in the work of the government of Canada. So so good luck, those of you that are that are working in government. So you're cops, you are foresters, teachers, you are teachers, you're nurses, you plow the snow on our municipal roads, you are your companies that are hired to build roads, or you're working on a provincial level, state level, federal level. Good luck getting a job if you are not supportive of this because they want this for how many people? For everyone. Now, one of the things about the Christian faith properly understood is it doesn't involve coercion. We don't coerce people into the faith. We don't for we don't, you don't you don't become a Christian because someone bent your arm up behind your back and made you yell uncle. We don't do that. That's that's that would be a false form of Christianity. But this new paganism has no tolerance attached to it at all. There's no tolerance. There's no latitude for differences of opinion. This is for everyone. And the, the Trudeauians of our world, they want every single person. This isn't about rights, the rights of the individual to make a choice without being beat up or harassed or bullied. They want everybody to, A, agree with it mentally, to affirm it, and for as many as possibly can to practice it. Because this is, this is the utopian ideal where you can have sex with whoever you want under whatever circumstances you want 
as many times as you want and you're not accountable and it's a good thing and it's loving and it's wonderful and yada, 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 yada. So this, this should, this should um, send chills down our spine because this is, this is straight out of the pit of hell. This is a playbook from hell itself masquerading as a document concerning itself with rights and reconciliation and love and fairness and freedom and liberty. This, this will enslave people and destroy lives. But Aaron, they really appreciate the, uh, the stark warning there. I think uh, I'm in complete agreement uh, with your, with your assessment so far here. Uh, if you, if you ever watch, one of Jeremy Clarkson's car shows, he always says, on that disappointing note, it's time to end. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, yeah. Such a British way to end uh, the episode, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. You would expect it out of Joe Boot, but you know. <laughs> but listening. not, not from Aaron Rock. Oh, Joe listens. But, um, I uh, as as we hear all of this, and as we take your your exhortation to not fear, but to also not to not underestimate the gravity of of these words. Uh, how uh, maybe I don't know. How are you responding? How ought Christians to live uh, with uh, with this reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great question. So I. I have um, I have been so blessed in my life, experienced a lot of pain and a lot of challenges, especially in my childhood years. But I've had the the privilege of walking with Christ since 1979, and that's a long time. And I am so thankful for the progressive work of sanctification that God is doing in my life. And along the way, I can look back at different eras, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I was I was sort of here, and then something happened, and God took me to a new level and then life went on and then something happened. And it took me to a new level. And the last couple of years have been from a spiritual perspective, an absolute blessing for me because I've been learning so much about God and my walk with the Lord that, that has actually encouraged me and, and edified me. And I, I hope been edifying to others as I preached and interacted with them. So I have thought a lot about this and, one of the things that I have confronted in my own life, and I, I would say, you know, and by God, I, this is by God's grace, okay? But it has given me uh, a new boldness and courage and fearlessness. I'm just at a point where when I, when I see and hear this absurd stuff going on in culture, one of the first things that crosses my mind is the devil's overplaying his hand. He's overplaying his hand again. He's overplaying his hand. And in that respect, I don't champion evil and I don't like evil. But from a strategic perspective, I have a certain thankfulness that there's been so much of this absurdity taking place and being written and being legislated because that's what we need in order to wake people up. So at this point, if you still believe in the myth, of a spiritually neutral secular state, you're either an extraordinarily ignorant person or you are the enemy. You are part of the problem. 
because it the mask has been ripped off the the evil has has been revealed in bold font in our culture and and this is a good thing now the other thing that's been helpful is just walking without fear like I, i'm just i just don't care anymore about the the temporal consequences of standing for righteousness you know, I have several fines, as you know, outstanding fines that have been levied against me. If tomorrow my lawyer called me and said, you know what, they've all been dismissed, I'd be like, okay, thanks. Like, I'm, I'm not even really all that. I, I just don't really care what the court thinks. I honestly don't. Because I know that before God, I, I did the right thing. And I, I don't have fear of the consequences. It, if I go to jail, oh, well. If they take my money... Oh, well, if they declare me to be innocent, okay, that's good. That, that's a righteous thing, but it's not really going to change my walk with the Lord because when, when you do the right thing and you know you've done the right thing, there is joy, and there, brothers, there is peace that surpasses human understanding. And I just want to call people. Don't get all freaked out by the freaky stuff that's going on in culture. Put your faith in the Lord. The Lord is working wonderfully in the lives of so many. This is an exciting, exciting time to be a Christian. This is a privilege and a joy to be a Christian. It's a privilege and a joy to, to be punched in the face a few times for Christ. It's a privilege and a joy to be pushed around and maligned. It's a privilege and a joy. And the Lord is doing wonderful things during these times. He's waking people up. He's exposing the fact that some that we thought were brothers probably aren't. But that's a good thing. Hopefully they repent and actually come to faith in the true and living God. So fight the good fight. Find joy and rest in our mighty Savior. And allow the Lord to work in you and to weed out the, the protection, the, the selfishness, the self-interest that invades so many of our lives and takes our, you know, takes our focus off of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I, I sleep well at night. Like early on, there was some sleepless nights. When I go to bed, I sleep well at night because I know God is still on his throne. And these little prime ministers and kings and presidents that think they're so tough and think they have so much authority can crow and strut their stuff all they want during the week and write these absurd documents. But at the end of the day, God is still much on his throne. Now, they, we do speak out against them because they're destroying people's lives. They're not really destroying mine. I know who I am, and I know what's right and wrong. I don't get paid more for speaking out against this stuff. But they're destroying people's lives. So driven by a passion for the holiness of God and a true and abiding love for God's people, we have to continue to speak the truth. I'll remind people, right now, we're in a war of words. There are lies being spewed out of our parliamentary structures and our educational institutions and our medical institutions daily. It's just words. It's lies. And we, we have the truth. And when we speak words back, I believe God will use those to bring about change and reform. So let's, let's fight this on, on principle. We're, hopefully, we'll have some wins along the way. But even if we, you know, continue to in this world, quote unquote, lose, on principle, we continue to do the right thing and just trust in the Lord. So that's my my pastoral admonishment, I guess you could say. 
Thanks, Aaron. A much more encouraging end to our podcast there, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. And convicting. And convicting. Absolutely. Aaron, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about your podcast quickly before we sign off for some of our listeners that may not know about it? Sure, yeah. So I, I do a weekly podcast generally on Thursdays called Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock, and I've been a, a pastor for, for a long time, uh, 21 years in this church. I was the founding pastor, and then about eight, eight and a half years prior to that in a couple of other churches as an associate and youth pastor and intern. And um, spent some time, uh, I spent several years teaching as an adjunct faculty member. I, I, I went to school. I, I hated school until I discovered theology. <laughs> I was going to drop out in grade 11 and become a plumber. And then I discovered there's such a thing as Bible colleges and seminaries. So I spent nine years uh, studying. And so I'm married. I have five kids. So I'm, I'm just saying all that to for one simple reason. I have a, a little bit of life experience under my belt. And as I push 50, I'll be 50 next year, I, um, I don't need more work, but I just have this sense that I have a responsibility to pass on the knowledge and wisdom that others have passed on to me to the next generation. And that's part of my motive in this podcast is just to help younger, maybe less experienced leaders think through a broad variety of issues. I've always considered myself a bit more of a general practitioner than specialist. So I I dabble in theology and ethics and church life and ministry issues and cultural issues. So the podcast covers a lot of that sort of thing. And then it also, secondly, allows me to cover some topics with my congregation that may be more difficult to cover on a Sunday morning worship experience. So that's why we've been doing that. And um, I haven't looked for a while, but we've had uh, podcasts that have, uh, you know, hit up upwards of 20,000, I think maybe more than 20,000 downloads. So it's, it's expanding and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm genuinely just motivated to, I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun doing it, thinking through the issues, but I just want to help people and bless people. And if in some way, shape or form, the podcast uh, does that, then we'll continue to do it. And if at some point it it kind of hits its expiry date, that's fine too. But um, I, I would encourage people to at least consider it. And hopefully some of the the things we discuss will, will edify and bless and build up God's people. Terrific. Aaron, thanks so much. We, uh, we appreciate your podcast. I, uh, I do actually listen to it. I, I can, uh, and I, I've got, receipts for that if anybody asks but, oh, wow. uh, wonderful <laughs> do, uh, do listen to uh, to Aaron's podcast leadership now and brother we're uh, we're looking forward to having you with us uh, next month in just a few weeks at the yeah. uh, the Christianity and culture colloquium yeah I think we're gonna talk about some climate change stuff and tie that into uh, the the religious ethos of our culture so I think that'll be relevant topic for us to discuss. Excellent. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Aaron and Nate, appreciate you uh, having this uh, this time together. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. From all of us here at the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, we remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. May God alone be glorified and
and we look forward to being with you again next week.